Um, this morning, someone had a word at the back shouting out for um, saying that uh, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then uh, someone else had a verse equating it to the birth of Christ. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Romans chapter 1 and we're going to look at, uh, I believe, verse 3. Romans chapter 1, verse 3. I'm reading from a really obscure Bible that I don't know how I found it, but um, you will not find this translation pretty much anywhere, but I really like it. You know when you find a translation that that's your friend? This is one of those translations that's my friend. So, so I'm sorry, it won't be up on the wall, but uh, there we go. So Romans chapter 1, verse 3. And uh, I'll just wind it back to verse 2, actually, just to make it a bit more grammatical sense of it. It says, This good news was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It is about his son, who was a descendant of David, as to his human nature. And then in verse 4 it says, And declared as the Son of God with power through the working of the Spirit of holiness upon his rising from the dead. So verse 3 and 4 kind of separate the two aspects of Christ. First, in verse 3, is his humanity. Then in verse 4, his divinity. And I want to focus actually on his humanity today because often I think there's a lot of confusion about, about uh, Christ, the incarnation and all these kind of things. And so I just want to spend a little bit of time about this because we all know why Jesus came don't we? He came to die on the cross. He came to give us freedom. But we're, we're fast approaching, I think we've got we're two weeks left or a week and a half left before we hit Advent, which is where we start to celebrate the coming of the King the first time round. And, and I think sometimes we often forget the importance of the incarnation and actually what it represents. Because if we don't really understand the incarnation, We don't really understand or appreciate the power of the cross. There was a survey done in America a little while ago, and they were asked various questions. And one of the questions, this is to Christians, and one of the questions that was asked is, do you believe that Jesus is God? And 70% basically said between not sure and no. And the reason why they're not sure and they don't know is because the incarnation is very rarely preached from the pulpit. It's just assumed everybody knows it. We all know Jesus is God and he's fully man and he came and dwelt amongst us. But sometimes it's good to really reflect on these profound mysteries that God has given us because it says in Deuteronomy 28, 28, those things that are given to man are for man and those things that are not revealed to man are the secrets of God. So you've got a whole lot of stuff that God has revealed to us here that we could spend a whole lot of time working through. I mean, at our prayer school this week, we've been meditating just on one verse in the Gospel of John. It's about the wedding of the Canaan of Galilee. That story has all of the Gospel written in it. It is loaded with Holy Spirit revelation about the full ministry of Christ in a couple of verses. It's all there. But you have to meditate on it. You have to plumb the depths of the scripture. You have to say, Holy Spirit, show me these things that are here. And we all know very clearly in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. (laughs) What went on in Genesis chapter 1 
You see, the way that God does things is he, he does wheels within wheels, parables within parables, riddles within riddles, in that what he set in motion in Genesis 1 is what he sets in motion for everything else. So Genesis 1 teaches you how to be born again. Oh, I've never seen that in there. That's because you've never looked for it, not thinking that it is there. But when you know that it is there and you start looking for it, it's there. It's plain as day. Why would it be there? Because that is the process of creation. That is the process of new birth. Earth wasn't born. I mean, the, the creation doesn't start with a big bang. Because Big Bang Theory states that there was an explosion and then out of everything else came all the stars and heavens and the earth and stuff and then the earth was this little revolving thing. No, the Bible says the earth was started first. And then came the stars and everything else. It's like, oh, yeah. So what is, what is Genesis chapter 1 teaching us? How is that relevant to this verse here? Which is about Jesus being a descendant of David. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and there was darkness over the void of the waters. And in a, a, a little virgin's tummy, in that dark place, God said, let there be light. And the light of the world was hidden in the waters and was given birth to in the waters and at the separating of the waters came forth one who was fully God and one who is fully man. The most amazing, most groundbreaking, the most incredulous mystery of mysteries ever to be unleashed on the earth. Ever. Nothing had ever been seen like it before and nothing will ever be seen like it until the resurrection of the dead. Nothing had ever happened so immensely important as the virgin birth. Have you ever wondered why Jesus called his, his mum woman? He never calls her mum, does he? All right, mum, Mary, mother. Uh, you won't see it anywhere in the Bible. He always calls her woman. Hey, man, how disrespectful. I mean, you know, Jesus gave us the law himself, you know, in sense, like, you know, you got all your parents, right? He was giving her the highest titles as a woman could ever have. Because church history knows this, that the title woman that he gave her is from Genesis 3.15. From a woman would come one who would crush Satan's head. And so he's calling her the second Eve. He's calling her the one from whom would come the Messiah who would crush Satan's kingdom. So when he calls her, he doesn't call her mum, he calls her woman. It's kind of lost in translation. Woman is Eve. And Jesus, oh I love this. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You know what the word earth is in Hebrew? That's land, Eretz is land. It's Adama. And Adam comes from the earth. And that which came from heaven came down into a woman and became Adama took on the nature of this world and took on the nature of the earthiness of humanity, not in sin, but in his makeup, and was born this son of man, or in the Hebrew, son of Adam, as one of us. 
And he was born of a virgin, Mary, who was of the line of the tribe of Judah. So he had to fulfill biblical prophecy. He had to come through the ancient bloodline so that he could be king. Why is it that Jesus, when he returns, rules the world? How does he get that, how does he get that status? Is it just because he's king and he deserves it? In the beginning, the king and queen of this earth were Adam and Eve, so to speak, I guess, if you want to put it like that. But they lost their power, they lost their authority when they submitted and yielded their authority to the voice of another, to the voice of Satan. And so Jesus, who is very God, had to become as of the earth, Adama, and put on Adam, put on human skin, and dwell amongst us so that through his death and resurrection, he who is of the earth, can take back the keys which Satan stole from man so that he can give the keys back to man. And that's why when he returns, he comes back as the second Adam and as king of this world. It's amazing that this is all there in our Bibles. And it's all there in Genesis chapter 1. If you have eyes to see. The virgin birth is in Genesis chapter 1. How someone is born again is in Genesis chapter 1. Because what happens in Genesis chapter 1, what's going on in a woman's tummy when she's getting pregnant is exactly the same description as what goes on pretty much in Genesis chapter 1. When Israel were born as a nation, came the parting of the waters and they walked through and the waters were separated from the dry land and they walked through on dry land and as they come out the other ends they were born again so to speak as a nation all these wonderful riddles parables wheels within wheels in our own bible but we're blind because we can't see we've, we've heard these stories so much you know there's christmas stories we hear them all the time though every year you know oh for unto us a son is given unto us a child is born and, and we don't really even think about it and that's why, for me, Advent is really important because it's giving us time to reflect on the most profound mystery that's ever happened on planet Earth. That God, that God, who is spirit, <laughs> came into a virgin's t womb and put on the flesh of that woman to become as one of us. That the divine one took on humanity that through his death we get to take on his divinity. In case you're a bit worried about that thought, this is what the church has always believed throughout all the church age. They always believed that Jesus, God, took on humanity and through his humanity enabled us to gain his divinity. Because you are now a new creation, 2 Corinthians 3, made in the likeness of the second Adam, who is very God. Oh, hallelujah. So, as we're moving towards that difficult time of year called Christmas, I want to just explain something here. 
that actually to understand the cross you must understand the mystery of the crib. Because if we don't understand what took place in the crib, we can't fully appreciate the gravity of the cross. Is it Christmas to replace a pagan festival? Was a common argument. Um, that argument was put out by a guy in 1850. I can't remember his name, but he, he's, um, it's caused a lot of trouble because they've gone, they've read his book, we've read the book, with history has done its research and found out that it was disproved a long time ago. It's pseudo-historical nonsense. Because in AD 200, there was this really famous piece of literature written called the Proto-Evangelion of James. You've probably never heard of it. Get it on Kindle, it'll cost you a pound, right? That's where your Christmas story came from. It doesn't come from the Bible. Some of it comes from the Bible, obviously. But actually, this Christmas story, you know, the three wise men, Mary on a donkey, all of that kind of stuff, and all these things, and other things that I won't go into, because you'll be like, that'll really get you, get you going, uh, comes from this story, the Proto-Evangelion of James, which was written in 200 AD. And it was such a popular book that we've still to this day found, lo we've got loads of manuscripts of it. So it was very popular in its day. And because the early church... One, they, they, no one really celebrated birthdays in the good old days. Anyone here celebrate your birthday? Yeah, well, they, they didn't in those days. They didn't think it was important. The only day that was important was your baptism day. So that's when, I think it's in January the 4th or February the 4th, I can't remember which one it is, but you have the epiphany, which is Christ's baptism. So they thought, well, that's technically his birthday, yeah, so whatever. But then after the apostles died and the bishops of the apostles died, people started asking questions like, well, where, when was Jesus born? Because it actually became an issue that was important. And so a Christmas festival of sorts, as we would call it, and where did they get the date from? It wasn't to replace Saturnalia in Rome. It came from a really peculiar idea. I think, I think the theory is that what, the day you died if you worked out nine months from the day you die, that's when you were born. I mean, I don't know where anyone came up with that idea, but that's what they thought back in the good old days. So they worked it out that, there you go, it's December 25th. And Saturnalia, by the way, wasn't celebrated on the 20th. I think it was celebrated on the 23rd or something like that. So, so by the time Constantine and all those guys came along, that's 150 years later, after the origins of this Christmas festival, which was called Advent, or Mini Lent, as they called it. Why Mini Lent? Because they, they basically fasted. There was no revelry and joy and all that sort of stuff until you came to the day of Christ's birth itself, and then you had a big feast. But other than that, it was, it was a time of fasting, as they were preparing themselves for the coming of the soon coming King, which mirrors his second coming as well. So, his son, who was a descendant of David, as to his human nature. And it's because of his human nature that he could set us free. The one who becomes as a son of Adam. You see, even when Jesus was baptised, I mean, he didn't need to be baptised, did he? Because he doesn't have any sin. Why would Jesus need to be baptised? Good question, right? Because he is the lamb that must be slain for the, for the sins of the world. And, and generally, if you were going to sacrifice a lamb, you would lay your hands upon that lamb. And as you laid your hands upon that lamb, you would transfer your guilt onto that lamb. And then that lamb would become technically you. 
And then you would slaughter that lamb and the lamb would die in your place. So Jesus had to be one as baptized because he was the one that would literally take on the sins of the world. So that when he's on the cross, as it says, and I keep quoting this, but 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, the righteousness of God. And I can't even get my head around what that even means. And, and that through that, we can be filled with the spirit of holiness. The Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's not one of us in this room is worthy to have the Holy Spirit living in us. But because of Christ and what he did, hallelujah, we get to have this glorious spirit living inside of us. And then Jesus went into another womb. He went, he died, they placed him in a tomb and he went into the belly of the earth. And there he was in hell. Don't quite know what he was doing down there. Scriptures say very little. Ephesians 4 says he went down there, he took captivity captive. And we also know that he proclaimed his victory to the spirits that were in chains. This is not, this is not people of Noah's time. This is, this is like the ancient evil spirits that were a part of the angelic rebellion. And they were in the darkest. It says in the Greek in 2 Peter, I think it's in a place called, I think it's Tartarus or something like that. can't remember quite the name. And that was like the place, the lowest of the lowest of the lowest place in the great abyss where the most evil of creatures are bound in chains. And he went down there and there it says in some translations he, he preached the gospel to them. God, oh, you fools, you've just disarmed yourself. You've just disarmed everything that you stand for. And now I can stand here and declare to you before I get back up there, I declare to you, I have victory over you. And every rebellious thing that you did to undo the plans of God, I have completed it. Amen. And so then on the third day of Jesus rose again from the dead, born into a new womb, the womb of his tomb and out of the belly of the earth. But this time he was no longer in the image of the first Adam. No, this time he rose again from the dead. This new creation. Hallelujah. Born again, so to speak. Oh, glory. And that's why, brothers and sisters, me preaching like an old Pentecostal preacher today, <laughs> is why we get born again. You see, Jesus says in, in John 3, if you want to be born again, you must be born of flesh and spirit. Jesus, hallelujah, was born of the earth and born of the spirit because he is the spirit of God. He is Christ. <laughs> he is God. And he prototyped the way and said, this is the way, walk ye in it. If you want to have your place in the kingdom of heaven, you must be born of natural descent. And you must also be born of the spirit. God was reinstating the reality of what he was doing in the beginning in the garden with Adam and Eve. Adam Adam was made from the Adama, the earth around him. And hence where he's got his name from, Adam, one of the earth. But he was earthy and God breathed into him his ruach, his spirit, so that he would be a spiritual being, but at the same time an earthly being. But there's a lot of Gnostic ideas in Christianity where somehow the flesh is wrong and the flesh is evil. 
Yes, the flesh has a propensity to sin, and unfortunately, like Jesus, it has to die before it can be resurrected in glory. But you're not going to turn into some wispy, floaty little spirit in the resurrection. Guess what? You're going to be in, an, in a normal human body. And when there's a new heaven made, what else is made? A new what? Earth. What do you think you'd be doing on Earth? To live on Earth, what do you need? A body. All right? You can't be some wispy thing that just floats around. You need a body. So you will always have a physical body. If you died and went to heaven, you wouldn't then for a while. But when you come back to earth with Christ, you'll be given a physical body. And when this earth comes to a close, God will make a new heaven, a new earth. And the new Jerusalem will come out, hallelujah, of the heavens. And then on the earth will not just be Jesus, not just the Holy Spirit, but God the Father as well. Hallelujah, blessed be his name. How do we come into this ourselves? There's this really weird verse in Genesis chapter 1, which you don't see it in your English translations, and it's in verse 10. It says, God called the dry land earth, and the waters gathered together he called seas. God saw that it was good. Now, what you don't see in your English translation here is there's two key words. There's word for sea is mayim. Word for the heavenly seas is Shamayim, which is where we get the word heaven from. It literally means waters above the earth. And then you've got the Mayim, which is the waters of the earth. But that's not what this word says here. In the Hebrew, it says, and the waters, the Hebrew word there is mikvah. For those that know what a mikvah is, or don't rather, it is where you go to cleanse yourself. So mikvahs is where you go into a pool of water to ceremonially cleanse yourself and stuff like that. It's where we get the doctrine of baptism from, because baptism is a, is a Greek version, a Greek word of mikvah. And there in the beginning, that God separates the earth from the waters. He separates the earth from the mikvah. That in the mikvah, in the baptism of the saints, you go down into the belly of Adama, down into the belly of the earth with Christ. And that you're down there. When you come up out of the waters of the mikvah, the baptism waters, you are a new creation. Hallelujah. You are new. And why is this important? Because it means Satan has no power, no authority over you anymore. I always say when I'm ministering to people and doing ministry, I said, have you been baptized? Because if they haven't, that's a problem. Because a part of your salvation, and I, the early church, whether, whether you agree with this or not, this is what the early church agreed, believed. You got saved by the name of Jesus and baptism. What about those that don't get baptized? What about the guy that died on the cross with Jesus? Well, that's God's problem. I'm sure he, gets, he got saved and all that. But God's best is that every Christian comes to know Christ and then gets baptized because of what it represents because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and the mystery of Genesis 1 where God is in the secret places in the darkness of the waters that new life comes out it's in the darkness of the waters that the incarnation came about it's in the darkness of the waters that uh, we come to new life and new birth in Christ and it's all there in Genesis chapter 1 some of you probably today go what on earth was he going on about go home read your bible and ask God to say, Lord, where, where, where is this stuff? Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> and then if you link that together with the beginning of the Gospel of John, and then think about the incarnation of the virgin birth, then you begin to see why these things matter so much. And you begin to see why the church 
has kept it in its liturgical calendar because there are two main feasts. Christmas is the lesser feast, Easter is the greater feast. But to understand Easter, which by the way, the early church didn't call it Easter, and everyone goes, oh, it's Ishtar, that's pagan worship. It comes from the Greek word Pascha. That's how it was always known. All right, so if you've got any weird ideas about Easter being Ishtar, you're wrong. It comes from the Greek word Pascha, and that's how the early church called it. Okay, so there's none of that nonsense. Pascha, which is the Greek word for Passover. It's quite simple, yeah, Pascha. And so that's what they celebrated. And these are the two pivotal points of the church calendar because for us, more so than anything else, more so than any other religion, any other movement, these two events are quintessential to understanding the heart of God. Because to understand the incarnation helps us better understand creation, helps us better understand our own salvation, better helps us understand what on earth is going on in the womb of Mary and the wonderful creation that came to be out of her womb and who she is and what she represented in her time that through her would come one that would crush Satan's heel, her head. Sorry, And it says in Romans 12 that through Christ we get to crush Satan's head as well. Hallelujah. And that we have the spiritual authority and that we have this new life in Christ because it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, I've explained all that for probably the last 25 minutes, a very highfalutin way of getting to the point, which is Christ came to set us free. And when you realize the enormity and the majesty and how God even coded it into creation, exactly what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. Jesus says about in his parables, these are mysteries that have been locked up since the foundation of the world. All of creation is revealing God's master plan. All of scriptures reveal God's master plan. But sometimes you need eyes to see because we can't see the wood for the trees. I've been in plenty of places where I'm like, man, can't you see it? And they're like, see what? I can't see anything. I can't see it. Can't you see that? No, I can't see it. They just don't get it. They've got eyes that see, but they don't perceive. They've got ears that hear, but they don't hear. They've got hearts that understand, but they're hardened and they don't get it. They don't understand. They don't perceive it. The mystery of a mighty God that we serve. Because, I'll end with this. For God so loved the world, the Adama, that he gave us his only, only, Son, to become as one of us, to die as one of us, to enable us to become like him. Isn't that a good God? Isn't that a wonderful God? Lord Jesus, we just love you, Lord. We're so, Lord, you're just incredible. Your mysteries, Lord God. The depths of your, of your mysteries to us are so deep and so great, Lord God. We love you, Lord Jesus, for these profound truths of the incarnation, Lord, the profound truths, Lord, of the crucifixion. Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory and we give you thanks, Lord God. And pray you help us never, 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 never take for granted what you did for us by becoming a child and what you did for us when you went to the cross and what you did for us when we went into the waters of baptism. In Jesus' name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen.